Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, we discuss a wide-ranging series of cultural issues in sports today, from escalating tensions in Russia and Ukraine to a resolution of the equal pay lawsuit by the U.S. women's soccer team. All that and more is coming up on today's show. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, is John Nekrasov. And John, it has been, it's felt like a whirlwind of a 12 hours. I've been refreshing the New York Times basically every 10 minutes it's been it's been a crazy day yeah it's not not your average prelude to a sports conversation i guess but i guess that's kind of where the world's at in this current moment it's strange i guess to see history unfolding before your eyes kind of and realizing like this is one of the single largest world events i mean obviously COVID happened a couple years ago but this is one of the single largest world events to happen in the last century basically yeah you know since and especially since the Cold War um, in the last, you know, three decades is one of the largest events to happen in human history. And it's kind of strange to guess, just see that unfolding on like social media before your eyes. You know, it's not exactly like the brightest opening to a sports podcast, but like it's where the world is right now. Yeah, I've been thinking about just how different this is than like, you know, the, re- the last invasion in, in Europe on the scale was World War Two, I believe. And yeah. um, yep. and it's, it's been interesting just to see like the way that this has happened on social media, right? There was no there was no live tweeting. Oh, Hitler has taken Poland, and mm-hmm. you know, Hit, you know, the, the the real time updates that people are getting with this. It, it's 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 interesting just to think about the way that media covers can cover these kind of events now compared to the last time something on this scale happened. But we're not just going to do a politics podcast. We want to talk about the way that sports interacts with culture and in many cases sports interacts with warfare and Mm -hmm. with invasions and incursions like this especially international sports like soccer and others that we're going to talk about and john there are several different uh sporting elements to um this but let's go ahead and but first just kind of give the framework for you know what's going on to people who may not be as informed in foreign policy or as avid readers of the news as you and i might be yeah, I mean, I guess essentially, I, I'm going back in my head in the timeline, I guess it was last night, which would be somewhere in the late hours in Europe of, I guess, Wednesday, Wednesday night and a Thursday morning, mm-hmm. um, Putin, Russia's president, announced that Russia was launching a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, which, you know, had seemed like maybe it wouldn't happen. Um, U.S. intelligence had said that it definitely would. Russian soldiers had moved into the kind of like separatist uh, split off regions in eastern Ukraine that had been fighting against the Ukrainians for a long time. Um, but yesterday, Russia launched a full scale invasion. Uh, last I've seen, I think soldiers are relatively close to Kiev right now. Yeah, um, there are three three different columns of troops marching from different directions toward Kiev. Yeah. So... From what I can tell, I mean, I don't, it doesn't seem like Ukrainian resistance will last long the way this campaign is going. And obviously it is, you know, one of the largest wars that has happened since, you know, along with Korea and Vietnam, one of the largest wars that has happened um, since World War II, which is just, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, the most, uh, the most fierce fighting has been in and around Chernobyl, that infamous Mm -hmm. nuclear power plant that, you know, exploded in the 1980s. And uh, Chernobyl has fallen to the Russians and so have like 17 airports and a lot of um, 
a, a lot of other mil- military type bases and things like that. I don't I haven't seen a reporting on casualties and injuries, but I know that casualties and injuries are in the hundreds at this point for the Ukrainians at least. I don't think, I think Russia. It's, it's I think it's, it's around 40 I think for the 40. Ukrainians right now is what I yeah. saw. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean this is this is a war. This is there's no other way to say it. This is a full scale invasion and from a from a sporting perspective, John, there's lots of different ways that sports have reacted to this. Mm-hmm. Um really before it even started, the first thing that I saw was um, the equalizing goal in the Ajax Benfica Champions League game where the Benfica player scored and then um, removed his shirt to unveil the he had a shirt underneath that was the, the trident which I believe is mm-hmm. a symbol of uh, Ukrainian is it like a is it a battle crest or it's just a just a symbol that represents I it, Ukraine I think it may be just the uh, hang on let me just make double check yeah that's just the coat of arms of Ukraine okay and it's uh, the striker's name was Roman uh, Yeremchuk, mm-hmm. who's a Ukrainian player, and he he put on that display, and obviously he had to be penalized for taking his shirt off. So we got a yellow card, as all players who take their shirts off do in soccer. But uh, he made that statement, and that was before the invasion started. Since the invasion has started, I'll just run through some of the sports headlines I've seen, and then we can react to them. John, UEFA mm-hmm. has announced that they're going to move the Champions League final out of Russia. It was scheduled to be in U- in uh, Saint Petersburg, mm-hmm. and it will not be anymore. It will not be anywhere in Russia. So UEFA, I don't know if that's a statement of politics or more just it's hard to logistically plan a plan a sporting event in a war zone. But yeah, either, I mean, either way, it's not going to be there. Right. It's not. I don't think they've made any form of actual like statement regarding Russia's actions itself. But they ha- are holding a meeting tomorrow, officially confirming that, and it will not it will not be there. Yeah. So. Another story I saw, uh, Sebastian Vettel, who is a F1, Formula One, former world champion, still a, a racer for Aston Martin team of Formula One. He has called on Formula One to remove the uh, Russian Grand Prix, which is scheduled for September of 2022. Mm-hmm. And he has announced that whether or not that race does happen, he will not be participating in the Russian Grand Prix. Gotcha. Uh, Formula One hasn't announced what they were going to do yet. And then the other story I saw was uh, Schalke, which is a mm-hmm. German Bundesliga team. They have removed the Russian sponsor Gazprom logo from their jersey. Gazprom was their primary kit sponsor, the one you see right in the front middle of their shirt. Mm-hmm. And um, they've decided that they're going to, I don't know if they'll have a financial repercussion for making that decision, but they're not going to wear sure they will. Yeah. the Russian company uh, logo on their shirts for at least the foreseeable future. I know there were a few other things that you saw as well kind of relating to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one big thing, Ukraine's Football Association has officially asked um, that Russia be kicked out of the World Cup playoffs. Mm. Um, and a few different countries, I think, including it may have been Poland, Sweden, the Czech Republic, have basically said that they will boycott, if Russia remains in the playoffs, they will boycott any games that are played in Russia. Um, so like normally you'd have a home and away game um, like in a double leg playoff in the World Cup playoffs and they basically said if any games are played in Moscow they will will boycott them if they end up having to play against Russia mm. um, so that's kind of a big deal and they, Ukraine also requested that um, Zenit St. Petersburg and Spartak Moscow that are both in the playoffs of the Europa League be ejected from the Europa League um, so you know we've got a lot of situations like that it'll be interesting to see how firm a stance the world's various sporting bodies you know take in relation to russia's actions right now there's definitely precedent for rogue nations you know remaining within sporting events um so 
as we've talked about even last week with China. Um, so it's, you know, it remains to be seen how exactly this is going to pan out. Um, but there's definitely increasing calls. You know, Britain's government is speaking out um, pretty forcefully and was one of the primary forces behind removing um, removing the Champions League final from St. Petersburg. And there was even discussion among some members of British Parliament about somehow sanctioning uh, Roman Abramovich, who is the Russian oligarch, Russian oligarch who owns Chelsea, um, as well as Everton's uh, owner, Alisher Usmanov. So there's definitely things are obviously still developing. We don't have like a clear answer on how all of this is going to shake out. But it's definitely it's a sobering situation and it's going to have a lot of ramifications for the way, you know, the sports world unfolds in the near future. Yeah, John, I, I was thinking and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, what does it look like, you know, when when Ukraine asks the Europa, you ask UEFA to remove all Russian teams from the Europa League. What do you think about, and we talked about this last week, but putting a putting a, uh, a sporting body that deals with their different countries, an international sporting body, putting them in the position of having to make those kind of moral judgments between countries? Because, you know, as far as Putin is concerned, and it's worth saying that what his, his defense for this invasion is that Ukraine's security, uh, Ukraine's military has posed a threat to Russia. And so basically he's he's framing this invasion as a as an act of self-defense to preserve Russian security, which you can put in as much or as little into that argument as you want. But what do you think about putting UEFA in the position of moral arbiter where they have to now decide, you know, are we going to allow these Russian teams to compete because of the actions of the Russian government? Because, you right. know, we, why, why are we punishing these teams, these players who may or may not agree with Putin at all for mm -hmm. what's going on? Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a complex situation, right? As a sporting body, as we've talked about making these kinds of decisions. I think there absolutely is a line, as we've talked about, where sporting organizations do have to sh show some backbone, you know? I don't know, in this circumstance, I think there's definitely, at least to a degree, a difference between a club team and the international team that's representing the country, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, it obviously, you know, we've talked about human rights issues in China, but it's not the same as like China just straight up invading India or something, you right. know, like right. that that is a, a different step on the international stage. And maybe, you know, we could ask questions about should it be, you know, um, but I, th I think a lot of the things that I've seen people saying kind of revolves around the idea that sports are part of an established world order of democratic peace, basically. Hmm. Um, that's what I think a lot of the people who are talking about is a hard line. Like if you are a rogue nation, you don't get to participate, essentially. Um, and I think that's that's an interesting argument. I don't Especially, know how I consistent when, we've been with it. but I think also the country being invaded is also part of UEFA, right? It's, right. So like yeah. both, both sides of this war are part of the same soccer federation. Mm -hmm. And so it would make sense you know, you wouldn't have to make a moral argument to say that the aggressor is the one who gets sanctioned and punished when when right. both parties are part of UEFA, part of the same continent's governing soccer body. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's precedent for, for countries not playing each other for sure. Yeah. And things like World Cup qualifiers um, with countries like, you know, like Serbia and Albania, there's constant problems with those games yeah. um, just because of the history of warfare there. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I, I honestly don't. I think that it's 
it is a complex issue. And I think my guess is probably that Russia will probably be kicked out of the playoffs given the current situation um, and given the stance that most of the West is taking on it right now. But at the same time, you know, we know FIFA's put out a statement I saw on Twitter. You know, Gianni Infantino's put out a statement saying, you know, we condemn the Russian invasion. But it remains to be seen always, you know, given the relationship that FIFA's had to a lot of these generally corrupt countries, whether they'll actually take a step and do anything. Yeah, I think it can be easy to conflate um, Russian athletes with, with, with vitriol that people might have toward what Russia is doing. We see that in the mm-hmm. Olympics where athletes who you don't know whether or not they agree with what their government is doing kind of take the brunt of the public outrage for what their for what their governments do i would be interested to see um just to single out a couple names what someone like alexander ovechkin and evgeny malkin Mm -hmm. would have to say about this two american hockey players who in alex ovechkin's case in 2017 created a social media organization called putin team has been very vocal about his support of Mm -hmm. vladimir putin alex ovechkin who I'm sorry, and Evgeny Malkin, who supported Putin team and shares similar views. I'd be interested to see what they have to say. For further sports, I think some of the best content I've read today is a Twitter thread by Gary Kasparov, Mm -hmm. the former, or I guess he still is a chess grandmaster, uh, Mm -hmm. former chess world champion, a uh, man who left Russia in less than agreeable circumstances. And this morning I saw a Twitter thread that he had retweeted by Jake Tapper that kind of explains his vision for what the international world would do concerning Russia going forward. It's a five tweet thread. I found it fascinating. I think there's a lot of good information there. By the time we record this next, our next podcast on this war could be done. Uh, we don't know, but I think that's kind of all we can say about it at this point. It's kind of all the information we have, unless you have anything else to add. Yeah, I would just, I would just say that it's, you know, in this kind of situation, it's, it's difficult, you know, to watch it. Um, it's difficult to see it unfold and, you know, I think, you, like you said, it's important. You know, it's important to remember when we're talking about this in athletic context. Like, you know, there absolutely are Russian people who do support this. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly, um, but there are plenty of people who do not. Plenty of Russian people of Russian descent, like yours truly. You know, who are not behind this. You know, and it's, I don't know. It's like a, it's an emotionally complicated situation for. Russians and Ukrainians around the world, you know, and I think the the thing, the only thing we can hope for really is that in this current situation, given what is happening, that peace is established as quickly as possible and with as, you know, as little death as possible, hopefully, and that, you know, Ukraine is able to have at least some measure of freedom, you know. Yeah, that's that's well said. Hopefully there'll be some resolution in the near future with as little loss of life as you just like you said, and if there are any updates in terms of some of these sports stories or other things that come up because of this, we'll talk about that mm-hmm. on the next podcast for sure, John. Moving to a few other uh, domestic sports stories, I think the biggest story, there are a few pretty big stories this week. One is a little bit smaller, but I think it still had a, a lot of people talking was uh, Juwan Howard, Michigan's coach, who was suspended for the remainder of the regular season. He's uh, Michigan's college basketball coach. And he was suspended for getting into a physical altercation with a Wisconsin assistant coach after a game during the handshake line, which if you've watched any college basketball game, you know that at the end of a game, there's a all the coaches and players line up on the sideline and run down the line and shake hands. And um, I guess he like, it's not, it wasn't really a punch or a slip, it was more like, like a 
just like mush. It was described as a slap. Yeah, in I, I time, guess it I was a slap, <laughs> but it was just kind of like put his hands on the Wisconsin assistant in a physical altercation, was um, suspended for the rest of the regular season by Michigan. You know, I obviously you're not going to hear anyone say, oh, yeah, what John Howard did was great. But I think the, argue, the, the conversation that's more interesting is best encompassed by two head coaches of other college basketball programs who were asked whether or not handshake lines should still exist. Mm-hmm. And Georgetown's head basketball coach, Patrick Ewing, his response was, I don't like the handshake line. I don't like it because anything is possible. You're just getting through a heated battle, a heated game, and anything can happen to make, that is, to make things worse, which is what happened in that situation. If it's my call, I think we should just take away the handshake line. Just like we did last year in COVID, you wave by and you move on. So that's one perspective. Tom mm-hmm. Izzo, uh, Michigan State's head basketball coach, had a very different interpretation he said that removing the handshake line would be the biggest farce joke ridiculous nature of anything i've ever heard of we've already taught these poor 18 year olds that when you're told to go to class and you don't like it you can leave we've already told these kids that if you're not happy you can do something else we've already told these kids that it's hard to hold them accountable and now we're going to tell them not to man up and walk down the line to someone who's kicked your butt and have enough class to shake their hand is utterly ridiculous Yeah, so... I'm on that guy's side. Two very different perspectives. I would love to <laughs> kind of talk about what we think about. To me, I'll go, I, I, I've always resented forced displays of <laughs> sportsmanship, especially when they're so clearly fake. Like, what's, what is genuine about a handshake line? What is genuine is after NBA games when people just mill around the court and go up to whoever they want to and talk to whomever they want to. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's no inherent virtue if it's a required thing to do, I guess is my, my position as to why I'm against the handshake line. I don't think it's, you know, it's always cool, but I don't think it's needed at the end of a hockey series. I don't think it's needed in any context. I know that like after NFL games, the head coaches go shake hands and that's fine. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I don't see the, I don't see the merit or virtue in a, required display of perceived sportsmanship because if it's required then it's not actually sportsmanship i think that one solution i actually do like the way soccer does it you have a handshake line at the beginning before everyone's mad and then if you're feeling like a good sport afterwards you can just go shake people's hands like with the nba after yeah just mill around i think there's nothing wrong with enforced signs of sportsmanship in some sense um but what's the merit of it I don't know. Just you can you can go say hi to your opponents. It's just a game. Like, what's the merit of sports? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I I think I think that there is the reason we've kept traditions like that is because we think that inherently there's something worthwhile about man to man sportsmanship, basically. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with enforcing handshakes. Personally, um, <clears> this <throat> gives you some kind of personal contact with the people on the other side you know like when when we did handshakes handshake lines in soccer back in the day after games you know it was sometimes annoying but like you at least look to your opponent in the face and i don't know like in the at the end of the day like we've talked like sports aren't the biggest deal in the world clearly mm-hmm. in comparison to what everything else we're talking about i don't sure. think there's anything wrong with making college athletes recognize that by sucking it up and shaking someone's hand yeah to me it's kind of the same <laughs> argument as we had with like the, the national anthem kneeling protest, which is if right. some, like requ- it, when everyone has to stand and put their hand on the heart, then it's not actually patriotism. Is it not? It, I don't think so. I think it's forced. Like if, 
something can't have a genuine virtue to it if it's if it's being forced upon someone. If it's not their free right to do, then it's not actually a virtue in my opinion. It's like it's like when you were a little kid and your mom would be like you would like hit a kid in the playground and your mom Chad. would like drag you by the <laughs> collar over and be like, "Okay, son, I'm going to stand over you while you apologize." And you're like, "Sorry." And everyone knows that you don't mean it and you're only doing it so you don't get immortal with your mom. And it's the most like meaningless apology you've ever had, but you do it just to appease your mom. Like that's kind of what this feels like to me. And I, like, I guess I'm not story. like against it. I don't know if it's a personal story or not. It probably is. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. I guess that there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but I guess I don't think there's anything inherently virtuous about it either. Like I don't think it's like, ah, uh, this is sportsmanship. This is what sports is all about. Like, no. I think it's a small display of sportsmanship that you know, if we just get rid of get rid of all traditions and have everyone just do everything willy-nilly, then, you know, maybe some people would stand for the flag and put their hand over their heart and whatever. And maybe some people would go shake their hands, shake each other's hands at the end of a game. But, like, I I just don't feel like... I don't think that just because something is, is like, something we do repetitively means that it inherently lacks all value. Okay. But that's the inner Presbyterian in me. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I really don't want to dwell. I don't have much more to say about this story. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, the last small thing, John, is just I've been talking about this off and on, but we are now roughly five days away from missing some serious time in Major League Baseball season. MLB announced yesterday that if there is not a agreement on the collective bargaining agreement by February 28th, which is upcoming Monday, if that agreement is not in place, then we will miss regular season baseball games and that players won't be paid. There will be no salaries for those games that are missed. So just like I remember we talked about this in December when the lockout first started and was like, OK, well, we've got like three months to figure this out. Well, those months have come and gone mm-hmm. and there's been very, very little progress. So this is just a disappointing thing. We'll continue to monitor. I think we'll this will be more interesting to talk about when there actually is a something agreed to when we actually do get a compromise. But up until that point, I think we should always be ready to not have regular season baseball right away. I know that's not a huge loss for you. It's a pretty big <laughs> loss for me. But it is what I'm it is. I'm devastated, quite yeah, frankly. It is what it is. Do you have any thoughts about Major League Baseball's lockout, John? Or do you want to just move on? Uh, mm, mm. Mm. Well, I've been actually reading about it a decent amount because okay. of work. It's been an interesting situation. It really doesn't sound like... Baseball players are much of a fan of Rob Manfred at the moment, which has been interesting. I think I read this may have been an AP column talking about talking about various players' responses, and it does sound like he mm. is increasingly becoming unpopular. And does sound obviously, you know, players want him to be want him to look bad so they can kind of accelerate this process. Yeah, yeah. That's about that's about all I got on the MLB lockout. It's, I have kept up with it a little bit. And am aware that baseball is still not happening. Well, thank and, you for but your... That's about all. It seems like it's about all we know, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean... It doesn't seem like they've told us anything. That's or right. Or have made any progress. Well, I know that, I mean, your national opening day wasn't a national holiday for you like it was for me. But for some of us, John, <laughs> we're, really, we're really grieving this loss. So. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. My condolences. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, well, go ahead and take a break here, John. When we come back, there's one more big story that we really want to touch on this is this is a big story that we've talked about you know months ago in the past so we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the the conclusion of the u.s women's national team's lawsuit against the u.s soccer federation and what we've learned from the outcome so don't go anywhere
And we are back with part with the big story today. And John, we back in May of 2020, we just looked it up. We had our first podcast talking about this equal pay lawsuit that the U.S. Women's National Team filed against the U.S. Soccer Federation. They mm-hmm. were alleging that they have not received equal pay or equal treatment, equal like training facilities, equal flights, equal tr- anything with the U.S. men's team, despite being more successful and in recent years, actually, according to the Washington Post, more lucrative for U.S. soccer than the men's teams. Well, we have received a resolution. It was not a ruling by a judge. They actually agreed to a mutually agreed upon settlement out of court. And that settlement involves $24 million of back pay by U.S. soccer to players on the U.S. Women's National Team to kind of make up the gap between past equal Mm -hmm. pay discrepancies and a verbal commitment to equal pay going forward contingent upon an agreed collective bargaining agreement between the players union and the U.S. Soccer Federation that would facilitate uh, an avenue for equal pay going forward. So in many ways, this is a landmark decision. I think the headline is the $24 million of back payment being made to the female athletes. That is a huge deal. As far as what it's going to look like going forward, that's much more up in the air because similarly to the MLB, these collective bargaining agreements can be long, harrowing processes with lots of nuance. And that's not something that we have any resolution on right now, but uh, promising signs for the women so far from what we've seen. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So this has been a, a story basically six years in the making since this suit began. It's interesting. I remember talking about it back in, in 2020 when the kind of initial ruling came and it sort of seemed like most of this case was going to be shot down, basically. Mm. Um, The judge ruled that, you know, looking back, um, the New York Times story that ran recently and then everything we read last time, basically the judge ruled at the time that I think their working conditions, the working conditions part of their lawsuit was allowed to stay. Um, regarding things like hotels and airfare and stuff like that. But the equal pay argument, the judge basically ruled that a lot of the discrepancies that were there were due to the women having accepted a different CBA than the men and that they were actually paid, quote, on both a cumulative and an average per game basis, they'd actually earned more than the men's team during the years covered by the lawsuit. Um, So it kind of seemed in my mind, like a lot of this story was over. Um, And so, but apparently behind the scenes, players have said that they were already working kind of towards this settlement already with USSF. Um, So I think it's interesting that things are coming around like this because I'm assuming the objective for USSF here is to not look super bad by just allowing this case to go unresolved. I don't know if you have anything to add on that. Well, yeah, exactly what you said is that the, you know, in May of 2020, the judge actually agreed with U.S. soccer Mm -hmm. that the equal pay claims were unmerited. And so legally, the women had no avenue. There was no no judge, or at least this judge was not going to rule for their favor. So this settlement was something that it seems like the U.S. Soccer Federation did not have to do legally. They weren't bound by any court order to fix this equal pay discrepancy. This definitely feels like something that is a image-based resolution because mm-hmm. of the almost universal backlash toward U.S. soccer for this whole debacle. The success of the U.S. women's national team has elevated them to a status in American culture where they are almost universally, they're all icons, they're all legends. They're, so the casual fan, the 
even the person who doesn't know anything else about the team are most likely going to side with women just based on you know the way that they're marketed the way that they have succeeded the way that they have become cultural institutions in this country mm-hmm. for me it's been interesting to see the different reactions from current and former players to the settlement alex morgan said what we set out to do was to have acknowledgement of discrimination from u.s soccer and we received that through back pay in the settlement we set out to have fair and equal treatment and working conditions and we got that through the working condition settlement and we set out to have equal pay moving forward for us and the men's team through U.S. soccer, and we achieved that. So if you're just taking her words for it as one of the uh, captains, one of the foremost players on the team, mission accomplished. Former U.S. national team goalie Hope Solo had a very different reaction. She called the settlement heartbreaking and infuriating. Mm -hmm. And in part of her statement, she said, A promise of equal pay from the Federation and back pay for a select group of players isn't equal pay, and it's not what this fight was about. Read the fine print. Then she's quoting, contingent upon the negotiation of a new collective bargaining agreement, end quote. And then Hope Solo says, it doesn't exist yet, and it isn't guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So basically what she's saying is that the back payment is only for specific players, problem one. And problem two, there's no actually legally binding obligations for U.S. soccer to do anything in the present and going forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that is going to be a real concern. And I think her saying that is going to draw a lot of attention to this collective bargaining agreement when it is agreed upon. I think there's going to be a lot of questions about what people think, if, if, if it's deemed acceptable or not by the U.S. women, by media, by legal scholars, things like that. Yeah. And moving forward, what's important is that this is also contingent a little bit on the men's team um, mm. because the men's team makes money in bonuses and stuff from FIFA for appearances like in the World Cup. A lot of this is contingent on the men basically sharing their revenue with the women's team to make this equal pay. So I don't, I don't believe the men's team has, from what I've seen, had any official statements on that yet. And a lot of this, like you said, will be predicated on the collective bargaining predicated upon the collective bargaining agreement going through. Um, But that's kind of an interesting side note that'll be interesting to see how that actually pans out. Yeah, you can read uh, Hope Solo's full remarks on a Twitter thread that she wrote on February 23rd of this year. It's like eight or nine tweets. She calls out, uh, she calls out Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe by name, actually calls them selfish. It's pretty, it's a, it's a quite inflammatory and, uh, you know, a really, really strong statement by her. I would be interested to have other people weigh in on what they think about what she had to say, John. I think as we kind of close this conversation now, I wonder, does this have any impact going forward? We mentioned on our original podcast that FIFA was going to also at least make an effort to invest in the international global women's game and try to bridge mm-hmm. that gap. Do you see this kind of settlement having any impact, not just on the U.S. Soccer Federation, but potentially on FIFA as well? And kind of bringing this, bridging the gap, maybe not equal, but something more similar to it at an international and not just an American level? That's an interesting question. Um, I think I'm going to summon my inner my inner Philippe Eau Claire, Yeah, who we both know, and say no. Um, <laughs> I I don't, given how, how money-based all of FIFA's decisions are, um, usually they end up running with most lucrative for them. Um, 
and what keeps the biggest amount of people happy. So I think if I think if enough teams started to do this, I think it's possible that things would change. But right now, I mean, the the women's game has a lot of room to develop and the World Cup, the men's World Cup is FIFA's primary, you know, revenue gatherer. And obviously a lot of the moves that FIFA's doing, like trying to make the World Cup more regular, going from four every four years, every two years and expanding it, bringing more teams in. FIFA is trying is investing all of its money basically there. Um, and is using all of its influence there. And so I'd, I'd, I find it a little bit unlikely that FIFA's going to all of a sudden become super progressive and, you know, like be like, oh, let's, you know, let's really boost the, the women's game here. But I will say that, you know, I think America taking this stance is likely to shift things. Just like I think, I think there are other teams. I forget who now. We'll have to look, I'll have to look it up later. But, I want to say there are at least a few other prominent European teams that already have this method of equal pay for their men's and women's teams. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, great way to leave it with that, you know, mix of optimism and pessimism, which is really what this <laughs> podcast has been about from the beginning. We absolutely we, we blend optimism and pessimism like nothing else, John. <laughs> I think that is the podcast. We're going to keep it a little bit shorter this time. I know we yeah. went we went pretty long last time. So this is going to be nice and a little bit briefer, but still hitting a lot of topics. John. I think I want to just circle back to to the Ukraine-Russia situation. I know that you have your family is very close to both countries in different ways and mm-hmm. thinking about them and the, the Nekrasov family, but also just about this whole situation. Um, obviously, thoughts and prayers only go so far, but I believe that prayers are vitally important, and they mm-hmm. I, I'll be doing that and just continuing to hope for a good resolution to the situation. Um, I'm sure this won't be the last time that we discuss this story on the podcast. Definitely not. Away from the podcast. This is going to be present in our lives for, for quite a while, John. But um, I just want to leave by um, really just with thoughts and prayers for a peaceful resolution and for as minimal loss of life as possible and that um, ultimately the Western world and democracies will, will come to the aid of Ukraine and that this, this situation will be remedied in a way that um, – yeah, it just prevents the suffering that we've seen this morning with the bombings and the other things that we've seen just trickling mm-hmm. through social media. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to great way to put it. I don't think I have much to add on that, honestly. It's it's just hard. It's it's a difficult situation. It's weird, you know. Like at, at times like this, like we've talked about before, it's like weird talking about anything related to sports, and you're like, well, here we are. Yeah, talking about all this, all the sporty things, but but sports keep hitting the culture. So we got we <laughs> the culture happens and the sports happen. So we keep going. Yeah, and we'll be back next week with another edition mm-hmm. of the podcast. I'm sure there'll be some other new cultural topic to discuss. I just, I realize that like all of the four stories we talked about, none of them were even like remotely stories last time we recorded. So no, which is crazy. Just always change and are always new. So we'll, I can't even commit to what we're going to talk about next time because it's probably just going to be something that hasn't happened yet and. We'll be here to talk yeah. about it next week. Until then, guys, make sure to interact with us on social media and also on the podcast app that you're using to listen to this podcast. You can subscribe, give us a rating and review. I realize that Spotify now has a rating system for you, oh, you nice. know they do rates for podcasts like a five star. So mm-hmm. you can do the stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or both if you use both. <laughs> and uh, yeah, make sure to interact with us on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. John's on Twitter and Instagram. The podcast is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so you can find us in in all the places where content can be accessed, but not TikTok because we're not that not TikTok cool. yet. Yeah, I, I I'm on TikTok now, but like I'm not cool enough to make TikToks. If you know what I mean, I'm on TikTok, but like more so as like a burner account. Like it's not actually me. 
nor do I is actually it... like interact with it. <laughs> I just like s- scroll, but that's another matter. Yeah, exactly. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And until next week, we hope you all continue to be well, be safe. Thoughts and prayers to Ukraine. And until next week, guys, we'll talk to you later. All right. Cheers, guys.